0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as I continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs dedicated to Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Kingdom of God, that the Kingdom of God was the center of everything that Jesus taught. The Kingdom of God is Jesus' slogan it's his watchword, it's the master term in which the genius of his teaching is concentrated. Not to understand the kingdom of God is to fail to grasp the meaning of the Christian gospel. Jesus is the author of the gospel, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Jesus is the one who came speaking on God's behalf In the past, we read in Hebrews chapter 1 and the early verses there, in the past God spoke through various prophets in different ways and at different times, but at the end of that time he has spoken in a son. You see, Jesus did not just come to be a silent, dying Savior on a cross. He was not just a silent Savior being raised from the dead. Jesus came to preach salvation. He came to seek and save the lost and he saved the lost by preaching, and he saves us today by his message. Unless we hear the message of Jesus Christ, not only the facts about his death and resurrection, but his preaching message, which went on for some three and a half years, unless we grasp that, we really have not entered into the mind and the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of God in the Bible is God communicating. It's the revelation of God's intention God's heart, God's mind, His counsel and His plan. Jesus came speaking about what His Father was doing, and what His Father was doing was proclaiming the coming kingdom of God through His agent and His Son, Jesus the Messiah. We are commanded by Jesus, and this was the first commandment Jesus ever gave, to repent, that's to say to undergo an entire U-turn in our thinking and conduct, to reorientate ourselves in a brand new direction and to grasp a brand new idea, namely the gospel about the kingdom of God. That gospel is an announcement in advance of the future coming of the kingdom, an announcement that it's time for us all to get prepared for that kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is our destiny. There are two destinies laid before us in the teaching of John the Baptist and Jesus, and indeed all the apostles in the New Testament, Two clear destinies. One is to gain immortality, that's the capacity to live forever and ever, to live endlessly, and secondly, to be destroyed, to be burned up, to be reduced to a pile of ashes. These are the two possible outcomes of every human life. The question to you is, where are you in this journey of faith? Are you moving steadily forward towards the goal Entrance into the kingdom of God when Jesus returns, the acquisition of immortality, life forever via the resurrection when Jesus returns? Or are you possibly one who is drifting through life, as many are, without any ultimate goal in view? Now, you may be very good at setting short-term goals. Americans are well known for setting goals, and they often achieve them with a great deal of success. But have you set your ultimate goal? What happens when you're too old to live anymore in this life? What is your prospect beyond the grave? Jesus came announcing the fact that there's no hope for any of us apart from an acceptance of his gospel of the kingdom. An intelligent acceptance of Jesus' gospel of the kingdom lets you in on what God is working out by way of his great kingdom program his salvation operation for mankind. He's searching for kingmakers. is choosing those who will obey him, will listen to his word now, and who will prepare by reception of the Holy Spirit, that's to say, God's mind revealed to us and imparted to us, those who will prepare by reception of that divine spirit for life endlessly in the future kingdom of God to be established on this earth when jesus returns jesus set the goal before all of us when he said blessed are those who have meekness as a characteristic of their personalities they're going to have the earth or the land as their inheritance matthew 5 verse 5 the idea that death means going to heaven as a disembodied soul is completely foreign to the scriptures jesus offers us the possession of the land as our inheritance, Matthew 5 verse 5, and indeed he offers us rulership as kings on the earth with him in the kingdom of God in the future, Revelation 5 and verse 10. These facts are the basic building blocks of the biblical story. There really can be very little progress in intelligent Bible study until we grasp this fundamentally Jewish framework within which the whole of Jesus' teaching works. Jesus was a Jew. He did not invent a new religion. He claimed only to be the Messiah, the promised Son of God, the King of Israel, who would reestablish the kingdom of Israel on the earth. He claimed to be the one who would sit one day on the throne of David, according to the promises made to David. He claimed to be the one who would inherit the land, the covenanted land according to the covenant and contract made between God and Abraham, Jesus claimed to be that distinguished person, and he invited others to follow him in his mission and to share his kingdom with him. And so at the Last Supper he said to the disciples, You are the ones who have followed me throughout all these trials and tribulations, all this persecution, this trouble we've received from religious authorities and Roman officials. You are the ones who have suffered through all of this with me, and so in reward for that dedication and that loyalty, I now covenant with you to give you a kingdom, so that you may sit on thrones and eat and drink in my kingdom, and you're going to have the privilege of administering the regathered twelve tribes of Israel in the land in the future. you read those famous last words of Jesus to his apostles in Luke chapter 22, Verses 28 to 30. And you may wish to refer to the parallel passage in Matthew 19, verse 28, where Jesus said again, In the new world, when the world is reborn, that's to say, when I come back to establish the kingdom, you apostles will have positions of royalty, and you'll sit on thrones to administer the world in that reborn world of the future. That's the destiny laid before the Christian disciple. Paul said, if we suffer with Christ, we will reign as kings with him, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12. Paul there was simply echoing the promise made earlier by Jesus that the destiny of the Christian is to be a co-heir of the kingdom, to possess the kingdom, possess the land, and to fix the world, if you like, to put the government of this world back on a sound footing there are many who would like to see things changed in society. Well, Jesus offers you just that opportunity. He promises you a place in the future kingdom if you'll prepare now by walking daily in faith, by suffering whatever tribulations and trials may come to you, by imbibing the Spirit and the Word of God revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. The Bible, I've been saying, is God's love letter to us. It's the exposure of His mind to us Through the words of Scripture, God opens His heart to us. He explains what it is He's doing, and through those various channels and agents He used, like the prophets, and supremely, Jesus, the Son of God, the unique Son of God, through those vehicles He has exposed His plan to us. He's revealed His mind, shared His heart with us. Why then would we not take the Bible as the most precious document of all time? And not have it lying on a shelf as a decoration, but have it as a constant study book, as a book to be investigated daily, to be pondered, to be meditated, to be shared with our families. The function of the Bible is not to sit as some religious appendage on a shelf where it gathers dust. It's a book to be pondered, studied, investigated, consulted daily, It was because the Bereans in Acts 17.11 studied the Scriptures daily, examined and probed the Scriptures on a daily basis. It was because of that that they became faithful believers. Not to study the Scriptures and investigate them on a daily basis is to run the risk of being fooled. The devil is an astute deceiver of mankind. He's had thousands of years to watch the human race and the folly, I may say, of the human race. His deceiving techniques are extremely subtle, they're well worked out, well thought out, and he's deceiving the entire world, John said, in First John 5, verse 19, and Revelation 12, verse 9. The only antidote against deception and the wiles of the devil, the false arguments, the phony arguments of the devil, the only antidote against that is to fill one's mind with the truth of Scripture. Paul gave us a fair warning in Second Thessalonians chapter two. He said that because people refuse to love the truth, to develop a passion for the truth of God's word, because of that God would give them over to a deluding influence. That deluding influence would be Satan at work, an energy let loose in the world to deceive people on a grand scale. And the only remedy for this would be to receive the influence of the truth, the mind of the truth, the Holy Spirit, God's mind revealed to us, the mind also of Christ. Only when we are empowered with that mind, equipped with that mind, can we hope to offset the extraordinarily subtle deceptions and lies of the devil. Now, the place to start, if we're at a loss to know how to encompass the range of information provided by the Bible, the place to start is with Jesus and his central message. Begin at the beginning of the teaching of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 give us an indispensable summary of the teaching, preaching work of Jesus Christ. He there commands us to repent to have a completely new outlook on life, and to believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God. To discover what the kingdom of God is, one must go back into the roots of Jesus' preaching found in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and it's not a difficult thing to discover in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, and Daniel, chapter 7, that the kingdom of God is to be an empire to be established on this earth, following the demise and the ruin of the pagan empires, which are now responsible for the government of the various nation-states. The world is not Christian. The world has never been Christian. To be Christian is to be called out of the world, to be separate from the world. You are not of this world, Jesus said to his disciples. Indeed, Abraham, who is the model of faith, the model indeed of Christian faith, was a resident alien in the land which never belonged to him, and yet God promised that he would have the land as his permanent inheritance. Those patriarchs died as resident aliens, as strangers in the land. They died not having received the promised inheritance of the land. Hebrews 11, verses 13 and 39. To be a Christian is to be different from the world, markedly different, it's to be a resident alien, a citizen of the kingdom, but not firstly a citizen of any nation state now existing on the earth. Christianity is costly, you have to be willing to be a fool for Jesus, but the ultimate rewards are beyond anything that we can imagine, and worth every sacrifice that may be required in the present life. We invite you to request from us our book on the kingdom of God and the gospel as Jesus preached it, And join us again for our final program in this series on Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.